One check, check one, check two. Isn't that a happy little jam? Okay. So, picking up from Acts chapter five into Acts chapter six. Let's get this mic nice and close. Testing one, testing two, mm-hmm, getting right, right up on the microphone, getting right up on it, okay. So, we get, went through the book of Luke, made our way into Acts, I've taken a mini sabbatical, <laughs> um, I've just been working a lot. In other words, uh, but around work and being married and having two dogs, I've been working on music, writing songs, recording songs, been working on the website, um, entertaining, entertaining my other passions from fiction writing, from biblical studies, historical studies, feeding myself spiritually, listening to preachers far more educated than I am, theologians far more wise than I am, and trying to get a good conglomeration of of these influences as I continue to build this kind of online ministry that is the Ferguson Poetry Project, uh, the intentionality of getting other writers, other artists inspired to collectively, to come together collectively to fabricate Christian-influenced art in a world that is flooded with secular art, Secular music, secular books, secular self-help books, right? Uh, secular political ideas, all those things. Um, I've just, I've personally encountered too many wise people, too many unique people, too many unique followers of Jesus to not want to find a way to associate them into what it will be the metaverse, what will be uh, a, a common marketplace digitally for people to easily access quality, for the most part, to the best of our ability, quality entertainment, quality art, uh, Christian-influenced work, writings, music, movies, TV shows, all of the above. And my hope is that this tiny little platform 
that is the Ferguson Poetry Project can get to a point where it's influencing and encouraging enough people where they can ripple throughout. And, and that is my own personal calling, my own personal ministry outside of serving my community, outside of serving my local church. I just feel like as a believer, we cannot neglect the metaverse that is not only out there, but the metaverse that is coming. And uh, Facebook changing their name to Meta and kind of trying to stamp what the concept of the metaverse is. We've known about it for a long time. 20 plus years ago, they're calling it the Matrix. (laughs) It's just now we're calling it the Meta, the metaverse. And so as we enter into this digital era and this digital age and, and globalism that is the internet and what globalism is going to become in the future. So preparing for those things and doing it with a root, a deep root in Christian theology, a deep root, a deep root in the Christian faith and having the Christian faith implemented early on where Christians feel safe gathering together digitally. But this is just one approach, which is Bible studies, uh, feeding into the ether as as much Christian content um, with the awareness that I'm beyond imperfect. I'm I'm a human. I'm part of a fallen humanity. I'm part of a sinful humanity. I am part of a self-serving humanity. And so acknowledging all those things and believing in all those things, but believing there is salvation and that there is grace through Jesus and his sacrifice and by following Jesus and by worshiping God and by living every day, chasing God's will and choosing God's will, choosing to be a child of God, all of those things collectively can allow the Holy Spirit to do his work through us, through humans, through people, into communities, into the internet, around the globe. And hopefully the downfalls of myself, hopefully the downfalls of my brothers, the downfalls of my sisters, the downfalls of of the church, the downfalls of the community at times, um, the downfalls of the state and the nation as a whole throughout those downfalls, throughout those tribulations, throughout the giving into temptations, giving into desires that are not necessarily godly or aren't godly at all, hopefully those downfalls can be overlooked by the blood of Jesus, by the grace and the mercy that God has to offer through his sacrifice of his own son to prove that his love is unconditional for us and to us and it's free. And there's nothing you have to do to earn it. You just accept it. Those things are huge. Those things are critical for building faith, sharing faith, and evangelizing the faith story and testimony of of Jesus. So we went through Luke. uh, I've said before many times, I'm catching up because I've I've been, uh, the past three months I've been so busy doing other things that I'm, I'm recapping for myself. So if you've gone from Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and about to be in Acts chapter 6, 
this recap is more for me than for you. So I appreciate it. Appreciate you hanging in there with me. But we went through the book of Luke, not because it's the best gospel, not because it's better, not because it's, it's there's something about Luke that's not in the other gospels. It's because the writer of Luke, the author of Luke, is historically and theologically renowned to be the same as the author, the writer of Acts. So for my own sake, as I'm going into the New te- deep into the New Testament, as I'm going deeper through the New Testament and through the New Testament, I've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and that's not to say I won't go back in the future and, and do different Gospels, tying them maybe as I'm going back into studying the Old Testament to take Gospels and then go to the Old Testament with those gospel, with the new Gospels, with Matthew and Mark and John. But for going through the New Testament, I chose Luke because it goes so cleanly into Acts, which then will transition into the uh, books afterwards. So in Acts chapter one, there's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Just reading the kind of subtitles. There's the ascension. There's Matthias chosen to replace Judas as the 12th disciple. There's the coming of the Holy Spirit. There's Peter's sermon at Pentecost, uh, which is in Acts chapter two, the Holy, the the whole branch of Christianity, Christianity known as the the uh, Pentecostals and the Pentecostal church, they uh, build their entire system pretty much from Acts chapter two, as far as bleeding out the Holy Spirit and their worship and their presentation and their sermons. Uh, and it, it is definitely powerful. It's a powerful experience to be a part. If you've ever been a part of a Pentecostal church, consider it a blessing as long as nothing too weird was going on that would uh, make you afraid to go to church again. Uh, then there's the the lame beggar healed going into Acts chapter 3. This is Peter and John, uh, the original disciples of Jesus who walked with Jesus, went through the ministry of Jesus for, for over three years. They are now starting to lead as Jesus saw them as leaders. They didn't see themselves yet until Jesus' ascension and conquering of death. The believers pay... Uh, for bold witness, then you have, they had everything in common. Um, this is like a, from a political standpoint, people relate it to like social, the first century church and the, in this first era of the church being really close to socialism. It's not a federally regulated socialism. So it's not like a dictator type of situation, but it's a, it's a choice. Like you, you, you come to the church, you come to Jesus, you accept the Holy spirit, you get baptized and, and you give it all. Not a, not a fraction, not a portion, not a ten, not ten percent. You give it all. You give everything you have, everything you you can muster. Uh, if you have overflow, if you have abundance, you sell it. You get rid of it because because you don't need it. You don't need to carry. You can't carry things into the afterlife. So there's no reason to hold on to it on earth. So with all that stuff, you uh, there's a there's a, a, a strong socialism pull in that, and that freaks a lot of people out, especially considering. Um, today's climate, today's culture politically, where you have people who are so, so strongly for capitalism and against communism, uh, which is a form of socialism, and, and the fears that that see when you see the, the CCP and the Chinese Communist Party, and, and the fear of that when you have a, a, a capitalistic society in, in free trade, 
obviously all those lines get blurred over time and nations rise and fall all throughout history. But one thing that stays the same is God. One thing that stays the same is, is Jesus and God's people. But you can't ignore the fact that when it says they had everything in common and when we read through, uh, it, it goes into chapter 5, which was the last chapter, the chapter that I paused on, because I had a lot to think about with it. It's hard. It's it, it's uh, when your fate when when you dive into the gospel and you and you do Bible studies, uh, as I've been as we've been doing. If you do, if you've been doing it with me, you get to a roadblocks almost. Uh, the goal is to roll over. the The goal is for things in Scripture to not become road roadblocks. The goal in Scripture is to for things maybe to be speed bumps or yield signs or maybe even stop signs, but not complete brick walls in front of you, not, not fallen trees in front of the road where your car can't continue to go down the road. Uh, you don't want anything halting you from reaching your destination. So you want to keep momentum, not that pauses and, and things like that aren't, aren't at the end of the world, but this chapter specifically challenged me a lot because you're seeing Ananias and, and Sapphira, his wife, and they don't give it all and they die for it. And so when Peter speaks in, in such a strong tone, it becomes enlightening and also kind of scary to realize oh, wow, the, the church in its purity during this first century revolution or explosion of Christianity was so intense that tithers who weren't giving it all or were claiming that they gave it all but really didn't dropped dead. And, and so that those stories trickled through, and we read through chapter 5, uh, many signs and wonders done, just just the, the continuation of the ministry through Peter and John, and then the apostles arrested and freed, and then it finally comes down to chapter six, which is seven chosen to serve. So, throughout the Holy Lands, two thousand, almost two thousand years ago, and I'm going straight into scripture now after a, a quick 15 minutes. <laughs> it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenistics arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the Hellenists were Greek. I believe that's right. It doesn't say in my footnotes, but they were Greek-influenced Hebrews. So they're full-blown Hebrews, but they're also fully embedded in Greek culture, which is kind of like oil and water, because Hebrew Ten Commandments, the laws of Moses, uh, children of Abraham, there's one God, all is one, you know, Abraham and from Mesopotamia, the, the father of Jacob, uh, the father of Isaac, who's the father of Jacob and the 12 nations of Israel. So if you're coming from that Abrahamic descent, Abraham in the land of Mesopotamia, in the southern land of Ur, 
was around so many cultures. There was a hotbed for trade. It was a hotbed for cultures. It was one of the you know, first modern human civilizations in, in recorded history, even to this day. So knowing that there's an element of Abraham was very specific in his covenant with God that there is one, that all is one, and, and that one is God. And that's where monotheism comes from. So the Greek culture, which was absolutely not a monotheistic culture, uh, these Hellenists who who were Greek-influenced or Greek-embedded Hebrews, it's a kind of a, an interesting situation, but there, there's complaint from them against the, the Hebrews um, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, and the twelve summoned the full number of, of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will all appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, or Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolas, and a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, just noting footnotes, the 12 that included Matthias, who replaced Judas after Judas took his own life. He, uh, as Matt Chandler would say, became a child, chose to be a child of wrath versus a child of God. And in becoming, a, in choosing to not be a child of God, you inherently choose to be a child of wrath, which is essentially saying, my will be done, not God's will be done, not your will be done, but my will be done. And, uh, and, and typically that leads to death uh, sadly, it can lead to very tragic death. So in the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And the word of God in this initial organization of the New Testament church, two important ministries are listed. The ministry of the word and prayer and the ministry of meeting people's physical needs, such as serving at table. The Greek verb diokoneo or serve, from which English derives the word deacon, the related noun is translated distribution, and in the ministry, the office of deacon, which may have had its beginning here, is described in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. So brothers pick out seven men. Uh, the members of the church elected the seven, and the apostles set them apart, ordained by prayer and the laying on of hands. So physically touching people and blessing people and anointing people, full of the spirit and of wisdom. There are two requirements for the ministry of service in all ages and their obedience to the spirit in action guided by wisdom. So obedience to the spirit in action guided by wisdom. So it's the fruit of the spirit. The, the obedience to the spirit grows the tree, the fruit tree, and the, and the action guided by wisdom is a being able to pull from that fruit and physically feed people. And obviously it's, uh, it's spiritually referenced. So Stephen or Stephen 
uh, and Nicholas, all seven through Nicholas, uh, all seven men had Greek names, which may point to their being Jews from the dispersion. Although many Palestinian Jews also had Greek names, attributes are listed for the first and last of the seven for Stephen, Stephen or Stephen, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, who appears in chapter six, eight through seven. In 60, and for Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, Antioch soon became a center of missionary activity. Philip's later ministry to Samaria and to the Ethiopian eunuch is described in chapter 8. So you have Stephen doing great wonders and signs. Philip, another of the seven, also did miracles later like the apostles who had ordained them. So continuing on, Stephen is seized. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the uh, Scythos from Sicilia or Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen or Stephen. I'm just going to say Stephen. Sounds right. (laughs) But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face, saw that his face, meaning Stephen, Stephen's face, was like the face of an angel. So blasphemous words, stepping back. When it says synagogue of the freedmen, going to uh, verse 9, composed of Jews freed from slavery who in this case were from Cyrene, a well-known town of North Africa. So we could assume, it'd it'd still be an assumption, but a strong assumption, we could assume that when it talks about the freedmen, it's talking about black slaves from Northern Africa. When it says Cilicia, it's a Roman province in the southeast part of Asia Minor with Paul's hometown of Tarsus as one of its chief cities. Asia, the Roman province, and the western part of modern-day Turkey. So we are all around the Mediterranean Rim as these things are taking place. When false accusations come up, and they're accusing Stephen of these blasphemous words, and it's clearly false witness, that's what it says, Although in the light of the gospel, he may have begun to express concern about hollow observance of the technical details of the law. All that Stephen said, as is evident in chapter 7, was that Moses, like Jesus and like Stephen himself, was rejected by the people. This could not be taken as blasphemy against Moses and God. And then when they continue to accuse him against the holy city, the holy place, and the law, Stephen did not speak against the temple but only declared that God was not confined to an earthly temple since heaven was his home and throne. 
Stephen actually supported the Mosaic Law and its teaching, especially as they pointed forward to Christ. And lastly, Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. The Jewish leadership had heard the misinterpreted quotation of Jesus in John 2.19, but there is no evidence that Stephen had known or used it. And so leading into people's generic ability to hear what they want to hear, to see what they want to see, and to clearly believe what they want to believe, we see that just as, if not more prevalent, and right in front of our faces today in the 21st century, we are at the end of 2021. It is December 14th, 2021 in the morning. And I can absolutely say that when it comes to false witness, when it comes to false accusation, when it comes to lies in the media, there's so many things just blown into our faces. It's just the old phrase, blowing smoke meaning an illusion of something happening when really other things are happening. And the common person, uh, as they ironically call it, the woke culture, um, the common man with access to the internet and technology and resources and and the ability to self-educate, it's a a double-edged sword. On one side, you have a collective group of people seeking knowledge together collectively, creating a collective consciousness towards ideas and goals and ideologies that genuinely benefit humanity. Uh, And then you have off-the-cuff rogue concepts and rogue ideas where things that are absolutely not biblical are not ordained by God or the church or the common man, but are found in groups and pockets throughout the world that can uh, lead many astray. Jesus talked about all this, uh, the disciples in groups of them kind of knew about it. Obviously, Revelation is a, is a great book of reference in the New Testament for uh, just the preparation the church needs to have, the preparation that followers of Jesus need to have, that specifically uh, Christians and, and any ability to outreach and evangelize and encourage others to cease their life of sin, to turn from their life of sin, to turn away from bad habits and to build up good habits, to build up good, strong faith and build up courage in faith in Jesus to be able to proclaim the good news that is continuing to this day in outreach to others who are continued to be lost, who who continue to uh, fall into the rabbit holes of YouTube and the rabbit holes of different online forums where these false desires or or unhealthy desires or uh, unhealthy temptations are blessed by communities of anonymous people that that you're typically, if you have to find your your place in a room of anonymity, you might be in the wrong room. So there's things like that that hints and, and, and breadcrumbs were left thousands of years ago and written thousands of years ago for us today. So all we can do is, is just pray to, for ourselves to continue to be better, continue to avoid temptation, continue to overcome tribulation, to continue to dive deep, to continue to dive into the word, uh, continue to find a local church, 
join a local church, serve in a local church, uh, find love and, and give love in a local church, and, uh, and serve your community where you are to the best of your ability while if you have the calling, reach out into the digital world, into the metaverse, knowing that uh, false accusations may come, knowing that uh, people may, you know, say mean things or bad things and, and knowing that it's all worth it because the mission and the goal to love and be loved and, and to give nothing but love and, and to give people a chance to find the unconditional love that God is always offering. And that's the least we can do. So my goal is to get more on routine now that I've got the website more figured out and configured in, the, in a better, more user-friendly way. And uh, my wife and I have a, been grinding our butts off this year and dealing with immigration and all these things. So now that we're getting more settled and, and more balanced, um, I should be able to continue in a more uh, more consistent resume for myself and for all you friendly folks. So God bless and have a good day.